0: Unusual. The Paranormal. The Mysterious. It's the All Things Strange podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Ether.
1: And Agent Anderson.
0: A special thank you to our Patreon subscribers. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review wherever you listen and recommend us to your family and friends. You can find the show live on Discord And we have a group on Facebook links in the description. This week's episode from the files of project blue book seven
1: part seven. All right. This one was voted on by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three tiers for you at the bottom tier. You get early access and After Hours, when applicable. We're actually recording this episode back to back with another one. We just did real dinosaurs. Living dinosaurs. (laughs) So that one didn't have After Hours because we just started right into this one. We are doing this so that we can have a couple in the bag so that when we are on vacation or people are visiting, we still have something to release and we don't have to skip a week. So that's why we didn't have previously have an after hours. Sometimes it's late and we're tired, so we don't always have after hours, but we do about at least half the time. So that's the the bottom tier, early access. So you don't have to wait weeks and weeks. It comes out as soon as I'm done editing it. It goes up on the Patreon. The middle tier, you get bonus episodes. Last weekend, this week, I was talking about the Watergate scandal. So that was a fun one. Um, Unfortunately, Asian Ether was not able to come on to part one with me, which I think the highlight was probably President Johnson, but if you wanna know about President Johnson, you'll have to listen to the bonus episode. And then the top tier, you get to vote on upcoming topics. And that's why we're doing this one. It was actually a tie last week, and they did Dinosaurs That Were Real and Project Blue Book. So we had a tie, so we're gonna do them both, and then we're just gonna we're gonna release them sequentially for people who aren't Patreon subscribers. And for our lucky Patreon subscribers, they get it all at once. Excellent. I love these Blue Book episodes. I think these might be my favorite to do. They're so much fun.
0: So why don't you
1: give an overview, like a short, short description of what Blue Book is? Okay. Project Blue Book was a government and Air Force investigation into uh, unidentified flying objects. And it was the public-facing investigation, as we know from the Bolander Memo, There was another way of reporting UFOs that was not available to the public. We don't really know what that was, just that it was secret. But this was the public-facing effort. And in the beginning, it it actually started off, um, I think it went from 1949 to, no, 1947 to 1969, maybe, But at first, I think it was called Project Saucer. Then it was called Project Grudge. And then Project Blue Book. But they were all pretty much the same thing. So we're talking about them as if they're the same thing. And all the files are in there on uh, Fold 3 from all of the projects and under one heading, basically.
0: It's so amazing because these are previously classified files, reports of UFOs, all kinds of documents, and they're available to anyone.
1: It's really exciting stuff. If you want to look through these yourself... It's a tremendous resource. It's absolutely tremendous. And it shocks me that more people don't go read through these things. You know, people want answers to their questions. They're here. The answers have been in these files since the 1940s and the 1950s for decades. And you can also see how they changed their investigation methods over the years and later on, they became more of a debunking arm rather than an investigation arm. And also when, you know, when they passed the FOIA, the, they sort of changed how they did things, you know, because they knew the documents would probably be released at some point. So there's a lot of just really fascinating things in there. One of my favorites from a previous Blue Book episode was the guy who saw a UFO in his television.
0: With little baby
1: UFOs. That was, that was one of my favorites. Uh, but there's... There's so many fascinating cases in here that nobody has ever heard of. It's just really cool. It blows my, again, it blows my mind that nobody looks through these. When you're looking at the files online, it'll tell you how many people have looked at that file. Most of them are, you know, 20 or 30 views. 20 or 30 views or zero or it's unbelievable that people aren't scouring these. This is such a re- such a tremendous resource. It's unbelievable. But anyways, we can thank, I think Fold three is associated or owned by ancestry.com and they paid people to go out, photograph all these things, put them into searchable PDF format or whatever, and put them on their website for free for free people. You can go right now and you can search all of these files. If you want to look for a poop shaped UFO, go ahead and do a search. See <laughs> if something pops up. I don't know. Who knows?
0: Now I really want to look for one. I'm going to have to do that.
1: <laughs> Agent Ether previously did on one of these previous ones around uh, Christmas. I think she would, she just, what did you search like Christmas or something? Christmas. Yeah. And then she got, she got a bunch of cases coming up with a keyword Christmas and they were really good cases. There are of course some cases in the files that are aircraft or balloons or toilet seats, as the case may be. It's, that's a famous quote by um, J. Edgar Hoover, I believe. But there are a number of fascinating cases as, as well. And when you're looking through the, through the files, don't pay too much attention to the cover card because quite often the witness statements and the summary card are very different from each other. So don't be afraid to dig through and read through these things because they are fascinating. All right, was that that enough Agent Ether on the Project Blue Book?
0: I think so. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Now, you have a case, and I have several cases that are shorter. Did you want to start with yours?
0: No, why don't you do a couple, and then I'll do mine, and then you do a couple?
1: Okay, sounds good. All right. I decided to look at 1949 because why not? I like the really early cases way back in the day before we had drones. And nuclear weapons, well, we had nuclear weapons. That's a bad example, but you know what I mean? We didn't have the high technology that we have now that could be mistaken for UFOs. So when we look at back all these years, for me, it's a lot more interesting um, when somebody sees a UFO, it just, you know, our technology was very different back then. So it's very interesting to me. The stories seem more credible because of that. Now I looked at October because I like Halloween and it's coming up. So I said, hey, let's look at October 1949 why not? And under that entry, right away, I noticed something for Roswell, New Mexico on October 21st. This caught my attention because the Roswell, New Mexico happened way back in 1947, not in 1949. So I'm thinking that's interesting. This file is just, it's just a title card or just a title page really that says, you know, Roswell, New Mexico, October 21st eight photos. And that's exactly what it is. It's just three pages total. Two of the pages are just covered in photographs and the photographs are not very good. They are dark. Some of them look completely black and they appear to have orbs of light or lights in the distance. It's kind of hard to tell what they are. And without some sort of report to go along with them, it's impossible to know what you're looking at. It could be something out of focus. Like there's one that has an orb of light that could just be an airplane or a car headlight that's out of focus in the distance. I don't know. Maybe it's in focus and it looks blurry. Who knows? So unfortunately, we don't have much to go on, but it's still really cool. We have actual UFO photos from the files. If the skeptics say we don't have any UFO files, I say poppycock, (laughs) you know, because we do. We do have good, well, these ones aren't that good, but we do have photos of UFOs. You just have to know where to look for them. Um, and there's a second one, a second file that's also of the same date, also October 21st, also Roswell, New Mexico. And this one is only two photos, or rather it's a negative and a of developed photograph from that negative. And they show orbs of light in the foreground. And in the background, there's like a weird looking streak of light that uh, could be anything. It could be a time lapse of a UFO, or it could just be, I don't know, anything really. But um, I don't know, Roswell's pretty remote, so it's probably not a city, but it could be a car driving by. I don't know. Again, without a story, it's just pictures. Is this part of the other one? Are these connected? Is this a different witness? Is it a completely different incident on the same day? I don't know. We don't have any information to go along with the photos, unfortunately. So while they're exciting, they're just photos without any sort of background. Maybe the rest of these files are tucked away somewhere else. I don't know. All right. So we'll get onto the first one where i have actual stories the first one i have this is under the atlantic iowa case on 28th of october and it turns out this file actually has a bunch of other cases kind of shoved in there like they they are misidentified as the atlantic iowa case and the atlantic iowa case is only a very small part of that of its own file the other the most of them are um, other cases. So let's talk about Atlantic, Iowa. There were two witnesses. This happened on the 28th of October at t- I'm assuming 10 in the morning because of the descriptions, they sent a letter to air material command in Wright Patterson air force base at Dayton, Ohio, a very historically important place, especially for UFOs. The witnesses wanted to know what led to the clo- the closure of project flying saucer, which was closed and then opened up again as Project Gr- Project Grudge. I forget the exact timeline for that. And he said that they did not want any publicity. And here's a quote: "Hoping that your division will be able to furnish us with information compiled to convince us that we didn't see anything, we remain until then flying discfully yours." redacted from Atlantic, Iowa. (laughs) Cute. (laughs) Flying disk fleers, yeah. So obviously they have a little sense of humor for this, but they're also, because they're asking to be, okay, could you convince us that what I'm seeing is not real? They seem like they're also maybe a little creeped out about it too, right? So the next page has a pretty detailed sketch with dimensions and everything of what they saw. And it indicates that they saw a disk that was 8 to 12 inches thick, six feet in diameter, and one end had what looked like a jet nozzle or whatever that was set one foot into the disc and like a little indentation. And there's also a sketch of the object's motion. The sketch indicates that it started at about 800 feet altitude, went down, hovered, went to the right about 300 feet, hovered, down again, hovered at about, this is about 600 feet altitude now, left hovered and then went down and appeared to go the the sketch indicates that it went below the horizon or went below ground level i'm not sure which by the drawing and it says on the bottom of the page it says it appeared to be metallic and ebony now ebony is another name for or it's a shade of black so it was a black metallic object which is fairly uncommon the witnesses said that emitted gaseous-like substance, but also that that was hard to observe and that it rotated continuously while in descent in a counterclockwise manner, approximately 60 RPM. So rotating about once per second. And here's a quote from the file. It descended to ground 1,000 feet from the point of observation, but never found. So they think it was about 1,000 feet away. And after it it left or went down and then it was gone and they went and looked for about 30 minutes in the area and they were unable to see the object or they didn't find it. Now, the cool thing is that Wright-Patterson actually sent them a response.
0: Very nice.
1: Very short response. And it says, dear sir, receipt of your letter dated 30 December 1949 is acknowledged. So they sent the letter after the sighting at some, some point after the sighting. That's not unusual. You see that all the time. In reply to your request, it may be stated that exhaustive investigation of reports on unusual objects led to, the, um, led to the understanding that they were various conventional objects. Thank you for the information you provided. It will be accorded the same consideration as other similar reports, which I think is hilarious because he didn't say we're going to look into it. He just said... <laughs> that it will be accorded the same consideration as other similar reports, which could mean the circular file, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's kind of hilarious. But he didn't say that either, so maybe they are taking it seriously. And it's still in the files, so they probably looked at it a little bit. I don't know. So that one was pretty interesting, and that's it. That's pretty much all there is to the Atlantic, Iowa case. But under uh, under the same file, there's also a case dated February 6, 1950 from napa california hells yes and that one kind of got my attention because that's pretty close to where we live it's about an hour drive south of here and it would be a 30 minute drive if you actually had a straight road but it's a bunch of windy ass roads to get there so (laughs) takes friggin forever but that's the so the file is dated february 6 1950 but the incident it's handwritten on the file is um the 28th of october 1949 so that's Deciding date and the file date is, you know, another date. There's a, an investigation and stuff. So the report was made by Charles A. Starrett and that it, it says it's an unknown object slash unusual aerial phenomena. So that's the term they're using. I mean, they use aerial phenomena has been in use for a very long time. Here they're calling it instead of unidentified, they're calling it unusual. But this is actually, you know, if you dig through the files, you find this is not a new terminology. UAP has been around for a very, very long time. So this report was out of Fairfield, Susan Air Force Base. And also on the report is Special Agent Frank D. Dean, F, I'm assuming FBI. My, um, I'm also assuming that he also investigated this. Now it says on the front page here that, um, it's weird because the front page is in reverse chronological order from the rest of the report. But in the re- in the rest of the report, they send a questionnaire to various people or they say that they sent questions to various people asking about activity in the area. So the civil aeronautics authority said that it it was impossible to track each flight in the Bay area because there were uh, over 161 carriers. So they're like, well, we might've had something in the area. We don't know. We can't say for certain. Colonel Dillon was not aware of any testing devices or guided missiles released in the area of Napa, and he would know because, he, you know, military people and stuff. And Colonel Johnson said that there were no radar contacts in Napa, and that was, uh, you know, the guy who was in charge of the radar stuff, I guess. And there were no records of naval, naval operations from the headquarters on Treasure Island. A couple pages later, we get a description of the event. Here we go. The investigation requested by Lieutenant Kenneth W. King, acting District Commander, DO number 19, Fairfield-Susan Air Force Base, California, upon request of, page turn, of information that Mr. Redacted and Mr. Redacted, both of Napa, California, sighted an unknown circular object flying north over the town of Napa, California, at approximately 12.50 on 28th of October, 49, read and, um... Redacted, interviewed, and revealed following information regarding unidentified object: estimated altitude four to five thousand feet, object in sight approximately thirty seconds, speed unknown, size appeared to be five feet in diameter, actual size estimated thirty to 40, thirty to thirty-five feet in diameter, and apparent metal construction with appearance of aluminum. No exhaust or vapor trail, no sound, and no projections visible. Now it says in the um. The report, it says Redacted and Shanks. See, this is hilarious because they forget to redact the names all the time, you know? So one of the witnesses' last name was Shanks. They diverted their attention and the object disappeared during this period. There were no other witnesses. The interview with local residents indicated Redacted considered truthful and dependable, not addicted to alcohol, Redacted, <laughs> not known.
0: addicted to alcohol. Yeah.
1: It's funny the way they put that, right? And then, so one of the witnesses, it's, it says later on, but one of the witnesses had just come to the area recently, like a few weeks ago. So they didn't have background information or the, the locals were not as familiar with that person. But the other guy was dependable, right? They talked to people and they trust him, et cetera. So they, uh, let's see, record and agency check reveals no derogatory information regarding redacted or redacted. Interview with manager of local airport, Napa, California, uh, revealed observation of two to three jet fighter aircraft in vicinity and one B-29 or C-54 type aircraft in vicinity on 20th of October between 1230 and 1300. Now, that's interesting that there were jet fighters, but... Um, no jet fighter could account for the description of this thing, of course, but who knows? Maybe they saw it at a strange angle or whatever. There were things flying around at the time in the general area, but we don't have enough data to say for certain that that's what they saw. That's what the, so that's what the military said. And they did question people in the area. They talked to like the guy's pastor. They checked at the local police department to see if either guy had a record. They did not. Stuff like that. You know, they actually investigated this one. They canvassed the area and they looked for information. Um, but they didn't find in a whole lot of anything other than that. So let's see. The next page, this is an account from the witnesses. And the two witnesses were hanging a canvas curtain at a gas station. The name of the gas station is redacted, but it's unredacted later on in the report, hilariously. Um, One of them was assisting with the other. One of them was up on a ladder. And when he looked up, he saw the object and said, hey, look up. And the other guy looked up and saw it. And they said it was round and silver and directly overhead. They looked at it for about 30 seconds, then glanced away to call Mrs. Redacted to come and take a look. And when they looked back from that, it was gone. One of the witnesses, you know, redacted, actually witness, Shanks, further elaborated that it was rotating silver and looked like it was made from aluminum, that it moved very quickly and was about the size of a fighter plane, but it was perfectly round. There was no exhaust trail, no visible means of support, nor apparent projection. So no visible means of support, I take to mean no flight control surfaces. That's just kind of how he said it. No sound, very quiet, And he said the neighborhood was also really quiet at that time. Napa is still has a small town feel to it. And I could see going there outside of tourist season and it being a nice quiet day. So back then, if the population was even smaller than it is now, then that would be doubly so. So here's a witness statement, a direct quote. I sighted a perfectly round aluminum colored disc traveling at a speed far greater than any airplane I have ever seen. And that's not the full quote, but I just wanted to put that because, you know, he's saying it's really fast, faster than jets, which they would have seen because there's, you know, Fairfield Susan is not that far from here. So they probably saw those flying around all the time. Oh, yeah. So here's from the report. It was Mel's Richfield Service Station. I looked this up and I actually found pictures of it online.
0: That is so much fun.
1: And I don't know if this building is still there, but when you drive through certain areas in wine country you'll see old gas stations that have been converted to wine tasting rooms. (laughs) And I have seen service stations converted to tasting rooms that look exactly like the picture that I saw. Um, Whether or not it is the exact same building, I don't know. I I was not able to find an address or anything like that. But it could say the building could still be there, which is pretty cool, you know. Um, Now, another interesting detail from this file was that apparently one of the witnesses bought a house in Napa for $5,500 and that person earned $2,500 a year. And I was just like, dude, you cannot get any house in Napa for under a million dollars these days, right? For sure. <laughs> it's crazy, man, how times have changed. And $2,500 a year, that's that does not sound like a lot, but if you're buying a house for $5,500, you're probably doing okay with $2,500 a year. You know what I mean? All right, now I have another one after this, but why don't I take a break and let you get to your sighting, Agent Ether?
0: I would love to. (laughs) So we've been talking a lot lately about abductions. Yes. We haven't done a ton of abduction cases and I actually don't know much about them. So I was kind of scouring the Blue Book files for an abduction case. Okay, nice. And this this kind of popped up. Now it's not an abduction, but it's related to Howard Menger.
1: Hmm.
0: who you might know back in the 50s claimed to have been abducted and had communication with extraterrestrials on multiple occasions. I
1: thought you were going to say Howard Hughes there at first, and I was about to get really excited.
0: No, (laughs) Howard Manger. And at first he said they came from Venus. He would later recant his statement and say that they had bases on Venus so that they could, in fact, observe us.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. This is starting to sound a little familiar.
0: Yeah. So this is the guy. I actually don't know much about him. And this particular case is it centers around him in a way. So let me tell you about it. Mm -hmm. So you have a sighting, and it's reported as is typical of all sightings. So when you open the file, there's a front card, the project record card, which acts as a summary of the case. The sighting took place in Great Meadows, New Jersey, on March 6, 1957, at approximately 2 p.m. The object was described like a derby hat in shape— about the size of a basketball, emitting a white color. Weird. The Air Intelligence Information Report had the following details. An object was seen overhead and slightly to the northeast, hovering in the clouds. The object was brought to the attention of a housewife, redacted by the sound of dogs barking. Next page in the file. There's a letter from the husband describing the event, which I'll talk about in a moment, because the most interesting part of this page is that at the bottom, something has been typed by somebody who has received this letter, and it is the following. Huge white UFO shaped like a derby hat hovering low over a field with shimmering rays had a rocking motion, undulating, rumbling sound shot up northeast, seen by Mrs. Redacted, full address given. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love they, it. They have
1: her address there.
0: Yeah, they have the address.
1: So they, they redact her name.
0: But they give the address. Nice. I know. So there's a letter on the next page, and it has letterhead. Very old-fashioned, right? To see right, a letter yeah. with letterhead. And it's the Wingover Shooting Preserve. So this is... And then underneath that, it, it says pheasants, chukars, and quails.
1: Hmm. So I guess you go there to hunt those? I'm I assuming? don't
0: know, but that's the heading. Like it's somebody who lives there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it's a place, like an estate, but it's a preserve and they're writing from the preserve. I did not understand it.
1: That's really weird. It
0: is weird. I have
1: no idea what that means.
0: So the letter states that the gentleman, the husband of the housewife, learned that the USAF was the proper place to report the sighting and... And not where he had initially reported it, which was to the civilian center in New York. The letter clearly states he wants no publicity, but he is in fact a reporter and writer and was investigating what he calls the Fantastic Manger story. He asks for information to be kept confidential, but he's interested in learning if there's any connection to their sighting and the stories surrounding Manger.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: So, next page, same letterhead at the Mm -hmm. top, wife's affidavit.
1: Oh, I like affidavits.
0: Yeah, signed and stamped and everything. So, it starts with, Even at the risk of being called hysterical, hallucinated, or worse, I feel I must make record on my oath as a woman, an American citizen, and a member of the human race.
1: Okay, that sounds pretty serious. It's
0: pretty serious. And she goes on to talk about her experience and the way that I've described. The next page offers even more information. The saucer was 50 feet in horizontal distance and slightly curled up at the brim like a hat, which appeared to be completely sealed with no holes or windows. The color was a dull, white, but clean, non-metallic, and reminded her of pipe clay.
1: That's interesting. I also have a non-metallic case. Really? Yep. It
0: rocked like a boat at anchor in the water, growling irregularly. Weird. Then there was a rush of air, and it quickly shot out of sight to the northeast.
1: Does she perhaps own a dog that was nearby at the time?
0: She does.
1: Yeah. The dogs
0: were barking. That's what caught her attention.
1: I wonder if the dog was growling. And she thought it was the UFO?
0: I don't think that's the case. (laughs) So after her affidavit is a military report, and it quotes some of what she said there. Then the report states that this reporter, the husband and writer, is well known and the name is redacted. (sighs) I know. It says the Martin property... Hmm, okay. is situated at the eastern slope of Jenny Jump Ridge in Warren County. So we have some limited information. It drove me nuts. I scoured the web trying to figure out who this well-known writer and reporter might be.
1: You those might be names that are only used by locals. So you might have to go to that area, and they might not even call it that anymore. So you might have to go to the area and dig through the library stacks.
0: I'm like, who are these people that they're, you know, known? So Mrs. Redacted was on the phone with her husband when the dog started making a commotion. The additional details are provided. The object had raised beneath it almost like tinsel on a Christmas tree. The length of sighting was one minute. Hmm. And it's not that it was tinsel, it's that the light, the way it shone, was like light off of tinsel.
1: Yeah, it's such a strange, I've never heard a description like that. That's a really interesting detail.
0: Mrs. Redacted told investigators that her husband phoned from New York about an hour later and she recounted her experience. Her husband apparently persuaded her to talk to the Mangers about her experience. And, handwritten on the report is... Has had contact with flying saucer addicts. (laughs) I'm assuming referring to the Mangers and the fact that they made contact.
1: What do they crush them and powder them and snort them? Like, what? So here's the (laughs) thing
0: it was hard to read the word. It also could have been edicts, but addicts was the only way I could translate the word. It was in cursive, but I'm like, what? Flying saucer something? It looked like addicts to me.
1: Okay. Well, you know, it's it's hard to get, you know, once you start doing flying saucers, you never know. know.
0: Now the next page does not seem military in nature. Now you tell me, I'm pretty sure it's actually her report to the organization associated with the mangers because of the language. For example, this is one of the most detailed and definite sightings that has ever been reported to us and the possibility that a mistake caused by some conventional object can immediately be excluded.
1: Uh, well, I would look at what what's the, is it handwritten?
0: No, it's typed and typed? it's just one page.
1: And is there anything on the no, page?
0: No, Nothing to indicate who it's from.
1: Okay. So does it have any headers or footers? No. Because a lot of that military stuff has headers or footers. Right.
0: It does. I think this is the report that they drew from the unofficial bureau in New York, the civilian bureau.
1: Okay, that very well could be. That's,
0: that's what I think it is. They go on to argue that it should be noted, Mr. Redacted has a recent interest in flying saucers, but in their judgment of the quote-unquote research section, only a person sophisticated in the subject could actually describe the object. Hmm. So it is therefore unquestionable that they could be making it up. Hmm. In other words, they were investigating it, but the object actually, the description and it being made out of clay and the way she described it, doesn't quite match conventional saucer descriptions, but they know what saucer should look like. And since it doesn't look like that, they couldn't have been making it up.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. You
0: like that? Like yeah. that roundabout reasoning there?
1: Like as if nobody back then had any sort of imagination, right?
0: It ends with extremely informative observation of artificial construction, which obviously did not originate on this planet.
1: Hmm. Well, why not? Why
0: not? So you think it's the end of this file. And I thought, why not continue? Why not continue? That's not very long. So, I turn the page and you have May and April 1957. I was like, okay, not too long. The next page is titled UFO Letters. It's obviously a government document. And in the upper right-hand corner, for some reason, is typed the word suspense. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea.
1: There's Yeah, there are some, if you look through the files, you'll notice some handwritten stuff occasionally. And you're like, What does that mean? You know, like somebody wrote it there. Somebody probably in the military wrote it there. But what does it mean? I don't know.
0: So it's a file talking about the UFO letters. It's a government document. And it says that the UFO letter from redacted was hand carried to SAFIS. S-A-F-I-S. Do you know what this is?
1: S-A-F. Secretary of the Air Force. uh, S A F I S.
0: S-A-F-I-S.
1: Interior Services?
0: Yeah, so you don't know. So I didn't know either.
1: Well, SAF is usually Secretary of the Air Force.
0: They feel Redacted is a legitimate writer and that his letter deserves an answer. And I quote, This office would like to be advised if as to whether or not you have any information on Redacted. So now they're searching for information on him, like background, details. They want to know who is this person. And I quote, as for the letter from Mr. Redacted, please use your own judgment. Hmm. Next page.
1: Curiouser and curiouser.
0: (laughs) Next page. The center has no knowledge of redacted conversation with general redacted, and the conversation may have been misinterpreted.
1: What does that mean? I
0: don't know. Next page. There's an information sheet, and it contains additional details a reply from the center to the original office regarding the request for information on redacted. It states they have no knowledge of this UFO and that solutions to this case were sent to and concurred by eminent scientists in the field. I don't know what that means. What scientists who's investigating
1: this? Um, I mean, there's, there's that one guy, what's his name? Uh, the astronomer, uh, why is my mind going blank? Uh, jail and Hynek.
0: Okay, maybe it was Heineck. Maybe Maybe. that's who
1: they're talking about.
0: And then there's a section 4A, states that if the statement is correct, then Project Blue Book Report will be released for sale to the general public. And this particular report numbers have never been classified as secret. They are JANAP and AFR-202. JANAP is simply restricted.
1: Hmm, okay. Well, restricted is still like kind of classified, classified. Just not at a high level.
0: Next page. It is the opinion of the center that the position of the Air Force should remain clear and firm. Hmm. In other words, they don't think it is. They are worried about the subject because he's contemplating publishing experience in the American Weekly, which to me suggests that he is in fact a writer for the American Weekly. So then I'm like, wait a second. Is this the same case? Let's find out. Let's continue reading.
1: Oh, boy. This oh, boy, getting, oh, boy. This is getting exciting.
0: So then this this, uh, this center goes on to say, you know, so many en- agencies were brought together to investigate this sighting without realizing that other agencies were involved. And this was really quite problematic. The program itself is not classified And one of the reasons is because the people reporting the sightings have to have background checks that are private and may be detrimental to their careers. So, it's not necessarily that it's classified, it's that it's restricted. They don't want the general public to know all the details of their reports.
1: Hmm, okay.
0: Section 6A says, Project Bear is not known to the center.
1: Project Bear. Yeah. Have we talked about Project Bear before? I
0: don't think so. And I looked it up briefly. I did not have time to go into it, but it does exist, and there is information about it, and it has to do with, what is it, J. Heineck?
1: Jay Allen Heineck? Jay Allen Heineck. It
0: was mentioned in connection with Project uh, Bear.
1: It sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't remember specifically.
0: Next page. Mr. Redacted seems to think that the C. I-R-V-I-S, Communication Instructions for Reporting Virtual Vital, for Reporting Vital Intelligence Sightings, is an extensive analytical study when it's actually a procedure for reporting, like Project Blue Book, sightings.
1: Yeah, and I've talked about the service reports before.
0: And then there's a letter... And it is addressed back to the Wingover Shooting Reserve. So, surprise, it is the same case. All right. Which I did not realize. So, uh, some excerpts from this letter before I finish up. There is a reference to the Pan American sighting in early March that was investigated by the 462nd AISS. They conclude to this gentleman, redacted, that Captain Von Winkle observed a fireball. JANAP-146 and AFR-202 are stated to have never been secret, and he is assured they will soon be published. Also, they are planning to release the Blue Book file on the matter. An Air Intelligence Technical Center was reviewing his letters, and so they apologized because the reply to him took a while. I also found a name, Gregory.
1: Gregory, first name or last name?
0: I don't know. It's redacted. <laughs> huh, so you okay. got a writer, Gregory something from Wingover Shooting Reserves. Hmm. So if- in New Jersey. So, if anybody knows who this writer is, and he wrote for, what did I say, the like the American Weekly. So, there's enough information there yeah. to where if I had just a little more information. I, I, I
1: feel like we could find that if we wanted really wanted to. I just
0: really yeah. want to. Yeah, it's a small town. So, this area, this little township, has a population of 303, and I think that was the last census in 2011. Some notable people from the area... On Wikipedia, were a pitcher and a songwriter, but no actual writer or journalist. Hmm. So this is the end for reals this time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a really interesting case, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I Lots of too.
1: twists and turns and things. Pretty cool. You never know what you're going to find in these files. Sometimes you find some really good stuff. All right. I guess I'll continue with a couple more of mine. I think I only have one or two more to go here. All right. Here's another one. Still within the Atlantic, Iowa file, this one is uh, flying discs from the 31st of October, again, 1949. According to the summary, they were 500 miles an hour, or it was 500, moving 500 miles an hour, and it moved on a straight and direct course at about 5,000-foot altitude, and there was no sound or exhaust trail. Though There were two witnesses, a Sergeant Peterson and Major Wright, They were hanging out in the yard of Sergeant Peterson at about 1230, and the observation was made on the 30th. I guess they reported it a day later. I'm not sure. Major Wright is stationed at San Bernardino Air Force Base. We used to live in San Bernardino.
0: I know where that is.
1: Yeah. Now, they reported a a round solid disk, 50 feet in diameter. Mm -hmm. 50 feet, pretty big. Quite big. That's a chonky boy. Uh, it had a white color, not silver or bright. Remember? Yes. I told yes. you. I told you I'd be talking about one. And there seemed to be, there. that's all there seems to be to the case. Um, it seems like there should be more, but because this file was uh, filed under a different file, I'm wondering if there's another half of this file somewhere else that um, just randomly filed under a different file somewhere. I don't know. But, that was a really short case and I want to know more because it sounds really interesting, but there's not really a whole lot to it. All right. Next up, I got another case mixed up with the Atlantic Iowa case. There's a whole bunch of them under this, I guess. Now there's a brief on the first page, like a summary. And it says while flying from Burbank to Palmdale, California redacted of long beach, California saw an object in the sky, which left a trail of blue flame extending an estimated one fourth of a mile. The that's <laughs> one fourth of a mile is um, what is that like? I don't know, fifteen hundred feet or something.
0: It's not. It's not a lot.
1: It's it. Well, for a for a uh, flame trail, that's a lot. That's enormous.
0: I I suppose could have been a meteor.
1: I don't. Know, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Um, (laughs) The object was sighted at about 01500, the 31st of October, over Mint Canyon. Mr. Redacted is an experienced aviator and has flown the area where he saw this flying object hundreds of times. He has seen many meteors or shooting stars and is quite familiar with that phenomena. He believes with certainty that what he saw was not a meteor or meteorite—not
0: a meteor.
1: What? Yeah. <laughs> One reason for his certainty is that the object definitely made a turn in direction. Well, meteors don't really do that, do they? Uh, the witnesses—the witness actually was an aircraft engineer and pilot. The object was going approximately fifteen hundred miles an hour at about a 30,000 foot altitude. The witness was flying a Grumman Mallard plane and was cruising at about 170 miles an hour, but they saw the object during a climb and uh, during the climb, they were going about 140 miles an hour. What was somebody going or was some plane going 1500 miles an hour, 140, 170. It's all the same, right? Um, They were flying about 1,500 feet above the terrain and 4,500 feet above sea level. They saw this object for about 35 seconds, and they said the exhaust was like a blue-gray exhaust, and there was a blue vapor trail behind it. The witness said they thought it must be a rocket from Murak Air Force Base, uh, later that's known as Edwards Air Force Base, or a guided missile from Inyokern. I-N-Y-O-K-E-R-N in Yokern. Here's a quote. The Office of Naval Research of Los Angeles is very strongly of the opinion that neither in Yokern or Muroc had any missiles or test aircraft in the air at that time and or location of Redacted's sighting. So they weren't just sure they were very strongly of the opinion. <laughs> I thought I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. The witness heard no sound, could not tell the color of the object, but it appeared that it was a dark or black object, but it was at nighttime. It was in the middle of the night, so it could be anything. I mean, it could have been any color, and it just wasn't reflecting light, so you couldn't really tell, but they saw sort of a silhouette, and the object was, it was like a box-like silhouette, and the report says, it was thus discernible when it appeared to be checking its descent with a large flash forward of its descending movement. That's what it says in the file. I have no idea what that means, <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe somebody out there can parse that. Let's see. Once again, it was thus discernible when it appeared to be checking its descent with a large flash forward of its descending movement. What do you think that means, Agent Ether?
0: I have no idea. That's very interesting.
1: I have no idea what that means either. It might just be a typo or a bad description or something. I don't know. There were a couple other witnesses. I guess there were passengers on the airplane. There was one man and two women sitting in the rear of the aircraft, and they also saw the object.
0: Very interesting.
1: And that's all there is to that report. Um, It's just uh, something streaked across the sky, and that's all there is to it. Now, those are all the files that were crammed into the uh, Atlantic, Iowa file, and those are all the ones I have notes on. Any other notes or final thoughts, Agent Ether?
0: Well, I did find a file that I really wanted to talk about, but I can't because it turned out to be pages and pages and pages long. It was uh, from the Foreign Technology Division, the Soviet effort to contact extraterrestrial life. Dated no kidding. February 3rd of 1967.
1: Oh, we got to do... Oh, a,
0: a whole episode.
1: That sounds like a whole... See, you never know what you're going to find in here, dude. There's so much exciting stuff in there.
0: So, you know, I, I looked through it briefly, and it was really exciting. And they talk about life on different planets, like on Mars, and how people who worked on Sputnik thought there was a possibility that there was life out there. And uh, quote some physicists, really interesting stuff. So we definitely, I think it needs to be put on the
1: list Badass. Okay, what do I put on the list? Um, let's
0: see. Soviet effort to contact extraterrestrial life.
1: All right, let me. right. I'm pulling out the list right now. Uh, Blue Book file. This is not a file Blue Book episode. This is a whole episode.
0: And I don't want to lose this page, so I will email you right now.
1: Soviet... All right. Well, that's, I'm glad you found that one. That sounds really exciting. I can't wait to read it. We'll have to do that sometime. Maybe as a bonus episode. I'm not sure. It just depends on how it'll fit into the schedule. It
0: is like 80 pages long.
1: 80 pages.
0: Dang. That's a dense, awesome material.
1: Yeah. That's a chonky boy right there. Yeah. All right. I can't wait to dig into it, man. These, when you, if you're willing to read through all this stuff, it can be a little dry and boring. But you find some really good stuff in there sometimes.
0: Oh, yeah. And only 19 people have viewed this whole file.
1: Unbelievable. So. Un. Unbelievable. Believable.
0: Okay. Well, that's all we have for you this time. Glad you could join us for Blue Books Part 7. And keep listening. Keep it strange.
1: Yeah. And if uh, you like the show, you could really help us out by liking the show, um, suggesting it to your friends, and leaving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep it strange again.
0: Keep it strange.